Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert Hack. This season, I am covering cases in New York City, and tonight I have the first recorded transcript of a murder trial in the United States, which is also the first murder trial covered by the media from start to finish. So kind of like your first true crime media sensation, if you will. And it was known simply as the Manhattan Well Murder. But before we get into that, I have one suggestion for you. A true crime suggestion, if you will. On Discovery Plus, and with this whole Discovery Plus HBO Max merge, I don't know if it's on H... Sorry, I don't know if it's on Max or not. But I watched it on Discovery Plus. Because apparently Max only has certain Discovery Plus options. So if you want the full catalog, you still have to have Discovery Plus. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. I also don't know why you would ever go from HBO Max to just Max. Like, we all know it's HBO, but, like, that's your brand. Your brand isn't Max. Your brand is HBO. But I digress. I've been watching a docuseries called Hillsong, A Mega Church Exposed. And it's a really great docuseries into the corruption of the church Hillsong, which I knew nothing about the church, but I did, while watching the show, I did come to realize that I knew multiple songs that the quote-unquote church wrote and recorded. So... I'm not going to spoil anything, but apparently it started in Australia, the church, and it wasn't originally called Hillsong, but it became Hillsong because they hired people to write, record music, like Christian music, to entice people to come to the church, and it's kind of like Christian rock type situation. And you all know that I am not a fan of organized religion, but I have dabbled in Christian music from time to time, specifically Tori Kelly, who has a great religious-inspired album, though I am much more excited for her new album coming out. I also have songs from Kira Sheard, Lucinda Moore, Hawk Nelson, Mercy Me, Jamie Grace, And, of course, with all the country music I listen to, there's always God mentioned. But the closest you'll get me to going to church is listening to Dolly Parton music. Sorry. I grew up in a... I'm not sorry. I grew up in a Lutheran church, so it's not foreign to me, Christian music. And my degree is in vocal performance, so I have professionally sung in plenty of churches and in choirs that sang sacred music. So I know tons of sacred music, whether it's classical or alternative or country or pop or whatever it is, gospel. But I did not know that a handful of these songs I know were actually written by Hillsong and recorded by Hillsong and then other artists, you know, did their own cover of it. I just wanted to suggest a true crime series on this true crime podcast for you all. So go check out Hillsong, a mega church exposed. 
on Discovery Plus. And that is not an ad, but if Discovery is listening, I'm available. Or if HBO is listening, I'm available. Also, I haven't seen it yet, but I have been getting a shit ton of ads for a new Broadway play. Well, I don't know if the play is new, but I think it's new on Broadway called Grey House with Laurie Metcalf. And it's supposed to be a creepy, maybe crime-related play. So I will be buying tickets to that. I'm very excited. I love a good horror stage performance. We don't have enough of them. I say that all the time. My favorite is Woman in Black. Though, you know, Sweeney Todd is great. Into the Woods is great. (laughs) Little Shop of Horror. Though a lot of those have like comedy elements to them, which is fine. But I would love to just see like a full-fledged horror. Like we have Carrie, but Carrie was a flop. Not that I think it's a flop, but it was a flop on Broadway. And Evil Dead the Musical and American Psycho. I don't know. There's a lot of horror opera as well, which I kind of love, like Electra. I just want more of it. So I am excited to see Grey House on Broadway, especially with Laurie Metcalf. Icon Laurie Metcalf. Also, sorry, I can't believe I skipped over that, but legendary author Agatha Christie, her play And Then There Were None is one of my favorites as well. You know, people dying on an island. Gotta love it. And I hear there's going to be a Frankenstein musical. I don't know for sure. There was in the past, but maybe there might be a new one. I do think Frankenstein, the novel, is perfect to be staged. So I hope if anybody does it, they kill it this time around. Because I think the first time didn't go so smoothly. But it's a love story. We all love love stories. Classic. Just like a little horror twist. But anyway. Let's jump in to the Manhattan well murder. I'm going to read you a quote from James W. Lent on April 1st, 1800 is when he said this. April 1st, and we'll get into this later, but April 1st was uh, the second day of the trial for whomever was arrested for this murder. We'll get, Again, we'll get into it. Anyway, quote, On the 2nd of January last, I, together with Mr. Page, had some business to do in breaking a horse, and we went up to Andrew Blank's, and we dined there. Blank insisted upon it, and while we were dining, two persons, Mr. Watkins and Mr. Elias Ring, came there to get hooks and poles to sound the Manhattan well for the body of a young woman who was supposed to be drowned. We got the poles and nails and went all together to the well, which we uncovered. Page took the pole first and said he thought he felt her. I took hold then and thought I held her too. Watkins drove in the nails. I took the pole and hooked the nail in her clothes and drew her up carefully to the top of the water. As soon as Mr. Ring saw her calico gown, he said it was she. He knew the gown. She was so heavy now we could not draw her out by the nail, 
and the little boy went for a rope to the next house, while I held her still. I put the rope under her and drew her up gently. She slewed round, but there was not a thread of her clothes which touched either side of the well. When she was drawn up, we laid her on a plank, and she appeared in such a situation as if she had been murdered. Unquote. And again, that was by James W. Lent. He testified on April 1st, 1800. So the men discovered the body of Julielma Elmore Sands on January 1st, 1800, at the bottom of a well located in Greenwich Village, Manhattan, New York City. Ten days prior, on Sunday, December 22nd, 1799, Elma was heard by neighbors talking to her boyfriend, Levi Weeks, and they were discussing eloping. Now, I'm not a huge fan of eloping. I like the whole hoopla of a wedding. I understand that there are reasons people elope legal reasons people elope but I don't I feel like every time people go elope it's the spur of a moment decision and it never really ends well I could be wrong prove me wrong but every situation I've seen it's been kind of doesn't end great and eloping is different than getting married at a courthouse you know yes you get married at a courthouse for eloping but it's different from planning to get married there versus just eloping on a whim. Also, I just want the wedding. I want the wedding. I've been watching Vanderpump Rules and Sheena's wedding in Mexico was gorgeous. Also, Vanderpump Rules this season is insane. So if you have not watched it, even if you haven't watched the previous nine seasons, just jump in on season 10 and you'll get the gist of it. And it's one of the best reality TV shows out there right now. The drama. The drama mama. It's so good. Also, there's going to be a wedding on Real Housewives of New Jersey. And even though I think the season is generally boring, I'm kind of excited to see Teresa's wedding. Because you know Teresa's going to go huge. And I was just at a wedding last week for one of my friends. So I maybe I'm just in a wedding mood. Fuck eloping. Go get married. Have a blowout wedding, because why the fuck not? You only live once, right? You may have more than one wedding, but come on. Go big. Anyway, they're talking about eloping. Levi was seen with his brother in the building, but Levi was also living in the boarding house that Julielma was also living in. Julielma was known around town as Elma, so I'm going to continue to use Elma instead, but she asked her neighbor to borrow a fur muff for the evening since it was, you know, December, middle of December, and it was frigid outside and the streets were covered with a blanket of snow. So I don't blame her for getting a fur muff. Fur muffs are great. They're warm. I gave my mom a fur muff for Christmas a couple years ago. I, I love fur, even if it's fake fur. I love it. Not long after leaving the house, she was spotted by a friend on Greenwich Street. They chatted, but a man the friend didn't know 
came up and pulled Elmo away. And not in like a, like he dragged her away physically, but like, was like, hey, we got to go and come with me. We're leaving. And that was the last time Elmo was seen alive by anyone that was not the murderer, of course. So on December 22nd, Elma had gone missing, but the newspapers weren't really covering it very much because the man, the myth, the legend, George Washington had just died eight days prior. So the media was obviously reporting almost exclusively on George Washington's death. You know, it's the death of the first president of the United States. Of course, they're going to cover it and cover it exhaustively. Church bells rang at noon every day until George Washington's funeral. However, after the funeral and the grief kind of died down a bit, the media turned to the next tragedy in New York City, and that would be Elma Sands' disappearance. Remember, this is 1800. New York City was tiny on the south side of Manhattan. So Greenwich Village was essentially suburbia mixed with farmland kind of it was just a bunch of like two-story houses horse and buggies but also farms like Annick Jan's farm which is where it appeared Elma and this random man were heading that night she disappeared they're heading towards this farm now the NYPD was not established yet but in New York City and Boston There were watchmen since the mid-1600s. They were not usually paid, but private citizens could pay them for their services. So I don't really know exactly who is searching for Elma other than her family and maybe some neighbors. And I would hope her future husband. But searchers dragged the Hudson River. Elma's body was nowhere to be found. But also reading that sentence and then, you know, telling you guys, it's dragging the Hudson. The Hudson's huge. It's not like dragging a small little river in your small town. Hudson's huge, especially in the 1800s. I don't really know how you can drag the Hudson at that time and feel like you successfully searched the Hudson. You know? Like... If her body was in the Hudson, I'm sure it would have been long gone by the time you dragged the Hudson River. And for you people who don't know, Hudson's on the west side of Manhattan because the other river on the east side is East River. There you go. Hudson splits New Jersey and New York City. Anyway, they supposedly dragged, didn't find Elma's body. However, they did discover the fur muff Elma was wearing a 20-minute walk from where she lived. And it was laying next to a fresh track made by a one-horse sleigh. (sighs) Christmas. I'm always ready for Christmas. Talk about the best religious music out there. That's Christmas music. I'm sorry to everybody else, every other holiday, every other religious holiday, but Christmas... Oh, Holy Night, come on. Drummer Boy, come on. 
the Christmas songs. Oh, French kiss. And like holiday wise, I am torn between Christmas and Halloween being my favorite holidays. But there is something a little magical about Christmas. Riding in a one horse sleigh, dashing through the snow. Laughing all the way. Though that is a Thanksgiving song, I believe. But you get the drift. There's a one-horse sleigh. There's tracks because there's snow on the ground, so it was next to her muff. Even though they found Elma's borrowed fur muff, they could not find Elma. Of course, everyone who lived in the building were questioned. Levi Weeks, her fiancé, quote-unquote fiancé. I don't know if they were technically engaged, but Levi Weeks, as well as Elias and Catherine Ring. Elias owned the boarding house that they all lived in as well as the dry goods store on the ground floor of the building and his wife Catherine ran the hat making shop next door and Catherine and Elma were cousins which is how Elma found herself living in the boarding house in Greenwich Village so painting the picture you know Elma needed a place to live there's not a lot known about Elma's previous like early life but she moved in with her cousin and then met Levi in the building. 208 Greenwich Street, to be exact. That's the building. Elma's body was discovered a half mile away from her house. And I don't know why. I mean, someone said that they saw Levi working on this well days prior to Elma's disappearance. So maybe that's why people checked the well. Or maybe people went to the well to gather water and they saw a floating body. Who knows? But when her when Elma's body was discovered, she was bruised and her dress was torn. And at this point, no one knew what had happened. It was, you know, did she jump? Did she fall into the well? What if it was murder? There are just too many questions at this point. And the first newspaper to print about Elma's disappearance was stated that she left her lover and had not been seen since. So I think that implies she ran off. You know, she was going to get eloped, but she decided, no, I don't want to get eloped. I'm going to leave him and disappear and either run off with another man or just go by myself or whatever the newspaper is trying to say here. But After her body was found, they brought the case to a grand jury, and uh, that was on January 6th, not that January 6th, but January 6th, 1800. The grand jury came to the conclusion that Oma was murdered. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. Yes. She was bruised. Yes, her dress was torn. But I do think it's believed that she had drowned. Again, we're talking about the 1799-1800. Evidence gathering at that point was slim to none. So, you know, did she look like she was murdered? Grand jury says yes. And again, we don't know much about Alma's life because she didn't have social media to update us all. 
So it's hard to really find a motive as well. It's believed her mom was unwed when Elma was born, so she didn't have any family outside of her cousin Catherine. But many people did come to pay their respects at Catherine and Elias's place. So they put Elma's coffin outside the boarding house so people could just walk up and pay their respects to her. Some historians believe it was to start a buzz around her death, kind of to get, you know, the law to pick up the pace on her trial or her case to create an uproar. But after it was decided that Alma was in fact murdered, her fiance, quote unquote, Levi Weeks, was arrested. Again, even though there was nothing to suggest he was involved. You had one person say that they saw him working on the well, whatever that means, days prior. And another person that said she saw him with her leaving the building, but they both lived there and they were a couple. I get that you always have to look into the boyfriend, fiance, husband, family, etc., Always the first person to look at. Totally agree with that. But to arrest him immediately like that, I think they're jumping the gun at this point from a legal standpoint. So Leva was born in Massachusetts in 1776 and moved to New York City in 1798 to work with his brother as a carpenter. His brother was Ezra Weeks, and he was a well-known builder and had many connections in New York City. So much so that when 23-year-old Levi was arrested, Ezra called in favors to get his brother the best lawyers in town, which were none other than Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Neither Alexander or Aaron had criminal experiences, so they called upon Henry Brockholst Livingston, which, what a name. I love that name. Brockholst Livingston. I don't love the name Henry, but it sounds really good. Henry Brockholst Livingston. It doesn't roll off your tongue, but it's just like, ugh. Yes. Brockholst. Ugh, so good. And for those who don't know, Alexander Hamilton was a founding father of the United States, uniting the 13 colonies. And he served as the first Secretary of Treasury under George Washington. Aaron Burr was a lawyer and served as the third vice president with Thomas Jefferson. Henry Livingston was a Revolutionary War officer, lawyer, and eventually he became an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. Aaron Burr kills Alexander Hamilton while he's vice president later in their lives. But during the Manhattan well murder trial, they seem to get along at least enough to work together since Ezra Weeks called in a favor. The trial began March 31st and ended April 1st. So not a very long trial, just two days. Probably because the prosecution didn't have any evidence. And the defense are Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. So, come on. 
again, the only witnesses saw Levi working on the well, but that was his job. He was a carpenter and spending time with Elma, which again, they were planning on getting eloped. And I don't really see what Levi gets out of murdering Elma either since they weren't married yet. So it's not like Levi was going to get her money if she had much anyway. And there really isn't any solid motive at all either. So I just don't see it. And the jury deliberated and they only took five minutes. And when they came back, they let Levi Weeks go free. But because this was the first huge trial to be shared by the media, everyone in New York City was pissed that Levi went free. And I get when you're watching, you know, true crime happen in real time, you kind of get very invested and you pick sides. But if you're not in that courtroom every day of the trial, it's really hard to understand why the jury would make a decision over another. I've served on a jury once and it was just for a car accident. Nobody died or anything like that. But You really do need every piece of evidence and to hear what both sides have to say every single day to really make an informed decision. So that jury, in my opinion, did make the right move. Like, why are you going to send somebody away when there's no proof that he did anything? And I know proof back then was like the standard was a lot lower, but I'm with the jury on this one. And if you'd like to read the first transcribed trial in the United States, it is available online. I wasn't going to go through it all because it's a lot to read, but it's out there if you want to go read it. The first transcribed trial. Levi, at this point, was so hated in New York City that he was essentially forced to leave the state. And he moved to Mississippi, where he became a respected architect. He married, had four kids, and died at the age of 43. Apparently, he designed his house in Mississippi, and you can visit it today. It's It looks like a big house. Like, think classic southern estate. Like, two-story, pillars out front, all brick, you know, very stately. Anyway, Elma's killer was never found, or if you believe it was Levi, her killer was never brought to justice. And Haunted Hometowns has been around long enough for us all to know what happens when a victim doesn't get their justice. We get hauntings. We get ghosts. So yeah, I feel bad for Elma because... She died in this well, and they're claiming it's murder. I don't know if there is proof of this being murder. If it is, I think it's tragic that they didn't find any evidence or had the resources back then to find evidence. But the only thing that I can think of it being murder, like, how you could prove that maybe is that the one horse carriage tracks leading up and away from her muff 
They didn't say there were any footprints. They just said it was a one-horse carriage. So maybe someone pulled up and pulled her into the carriage and she dropped her muff and then killed her and dropped her in the well. But it could also be that someone pulled up and she willingly got into the carriage and dropped the muff along the way. Uh, and it's not her muff, so she, I don't know. She didn't think about it. It's, it's really hard to say. It's hard to say. Because if she fell down the well on accident or even jumped, she would have bruising from falling all the way down that well. And maybe her dress would be ripped from getting caught on something or I don't know. We'll never know. But with that, we will be, I will be right back for some hauntings. I keep saying well, and all I can think of is The Ring. Like, what a great horror movie. From what I remember, I haven't seen it in a while, but from what I remember, she was tossed down the well by her mom. Not to spoil it. Again, I don't remember fully, but I think that's what happened. So in Soho, which is a neighborhood in Manhattan, it has... It's basically the shopping area, like the main shopping area in New York City, I would say, for more upscale shopping. Though they have other stuff like H&M, Zara's, etc. as well. But in Soho, meaning South Houston, amongst all the shopping, sits a building at 129th Spring Street. It has been many businesses over the years but today it is the clothing store cos cos i don't think i've ever been inside a cos but little does anyone know just passing by that in the basement is the original well that elma's body was found in the well was hidden for decades And in the 1820s, houses were built on top, sealing the well in the basement. Of course, after they found Elma's body in the well, the city stopped using that well for drinking water for obvious reasons. So since they weren't using it, they just figured we might as well just build on top of it. And it's been random shops like it once was a German beer hall in the 1800s. But eventually it was abandoned. And early 2000s, I believe the restaurant Manhattan Bistro opened in that space. And they needed more room for storage. So they cleared out the basement. And when they did, they discovered this well, this bricked well. 
And of course, you can find photos on Instagram and Twitter at Haunted Hometowns of the Well. It seems pretty tall. Like it's over six feet tall from photos I'm seeing. And if that's the case, there's no way that Elma could accidentally fall within it. But also, it doesn't make sense for it to be that tall for people to get water out of it, really. So then part of me believes that it didn't sit that high out of the ground when it was being used. But when they were building on top of it and renovating the area, they dug down to create more of a basement. But it's unclear. And no one really talks. Has like In all the articles I read, nobody really talked about that. But it is on the taller side. So cost today, which is apparently related to H&M in some way, uh, their employees say merchandise goes missing, elevators break, and there are random electrical shortages, none of which seem very haunting, but more have to do with a building that's over 100 years old and thieves. However, in 1895, American Magazine wrote, quote, Young men and maidens who pass the spot late at night testify they can hear Sands scream as she vainly implores her lover for her life, unquote. So clearly the magazine thinks that Levi killed her. <laughs> like, Sands being Elma's last name. Screaming, imploring her lover for her life. Again, if that was really happening, I think someone would have heard her screaming for her life and would have come out or seen. Like, it wasn't, this isn't an unpopulated area. Yes, there are less people than downtown New York City, but this isn't the middle of nowhere New York City. Like, this is a well that needs to be close enough to population to be used every day. And it was a 20-minute I think it was like a half mile from her house. So as she was screaming and pleading for her life, I don't think it would have gone unnoticed. But if she accidentally trips and falls into the well and hits her head on her way down and is knocked out, possibly. I don't know why she would be at the well that night late at night but you never know with that all being said screaming and crying have been common throughout the years at this building during the manhattan bistro times silverware would go missing and certain areas would be freezing cold again nothing crazy since i know plenty of people who steal from restaurants and who claim it's too cold and the ac needs to be turned down that's a pet peeve of mine. Sorry, at the restaurants. I think I'm really I'm really at a point where I might make restaurant etiquette 101 on TikTok because it's driving me crazy working at restaurants. If you're cold at a restaurant, you should have brought a jacket. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're at a restaurant with 60 other people, 300 other people, and you're cold. That doesn't mean everybody else in the restaurant is cold. 
The restaurant is under no obligation to make you comfortable when there are, let's even say, 60 other people eating around you. Now, if there are 20 people saying, I'm freezing cold, then sure, maybe that can be a conversation. But you feeling privileged to be like, I'm freezing, the AC has to be turned off, or it has to be turned down. It's like, girl, no. And I use girl gender neutrally, men and women, and gender neutral, anybody, girl, calm down. That's just a little side note for people eating at restaurants. Also, my number one pet peeve, push your chair in when you go up to go to the bathroom or when you're leaving the table. We all learn to push our chairs in at five years old. Push your chair in. Okay, that's it. Uh, Yeah, so... After the bistro cleared out of the basement, like cleared the basement out so they could store stuff down there, they discovered the well, of course. And once discovered, strange occurrences ramped up. More items disappeared. Employees would hear whispering and voices. Glasses, silverware, and plates would be moved by themselves or thrown across the room. And a couple things. Whispering, where you don't know where the whispering is coming from, terrifying. Because, you know, when you whisper, there's only a, it only travels so far. So if you're going to hear whispering, it has to be pretty close. So you would be able to see the person whispering. terrifying creepy i don't like that also i'm going to tell you about my most recent paranormal experience i'm at work i work at a restaurant i grab a bottle of wine from the wine cooler and it's one of those slide out wine coolers so i slide it out i grab it i slide it back in and shut the door and i take probably four steps away from the cooler when suddenly a water glass slides onto the floor and shatters at my feet. Now, I thought I may have bumped into the glass with my fat ass or by closing the wine cooler door, the glass was shaken off the top of the wine cooler. But my coworker who was walking toward me at that time, she said, no, the glass slowly slid off the top of the wine cooler to the ground. I did not bump into it. Me shutting the cooler didn't knock it off because if I shut it, it would have fallen off immediately. I shut it, took four steps, and then it slowly slid off the top. And we both stood there looking at each other like, what the fuck? What the fuck just happened? We can't explain it. I can't explain it. I didn't see anything specific, but she was like, girl, that was weird. So maybe I'm just haunted. And as long as the ghosts that keep me company are nice, they can stay. But I feel like every so often I'm getting more and more things. I was at the wedding at my friend's wedding in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, 
and I was they had their wedding outside and kind of like a forest preserve under a pavilion. And then the reception was inside in this like educational environmental center. It was really pretty, but the main parking lot by the uh, environmental center was filled. So I had to park at the second parking lot, which wasn't far away, but you kind of had to take this path kind of through the forest preserve to get there back to the parking lot. And the only lighting was these pillars every probably like 10 feet. And it's the forest preserve. It's the middle of nowhere. It was dark, like dark as fuck. You could see where the path was going, but you couldn't see. And they were only on the right side of the path because on the left side was all the forest preserve. So it was just dark. And I don't get scared easily. But that was, I was creeped out for a moment there. So I pulled my phone out just to show how dark it was and how creepy it was. And I got close to one of these lights because you couldn't see my face in the video. That's how dark it was. So I got close to the light, but by me like bending over, I dropped a candle I was taking home. And when I picked up the candle and looked over my shoulder, I swear to God, I saw something probably 10, 15 feet away. I could not tell you what it was, but shivers down my body. And I have a whole video of me like seeing this thing, but it doesn't appear in the video. But when I turn around, it was gone. So I don't know if it's me going crazy, if my eyes were playing a trick on me, if it was all in my head, whatever the situation it could have been. But I have not gotten like body chills like that since I saw a ghost in the basement downtown Chicago of a hotel I used to work at. So I'm not saying it was anything. I'm just saying it was a weird circumstance, a weird situation. And that things like that keep happening to me recently. This glass breaking. So if anything happens to me, maybe it's some ghosts. I'm telling it to you right here on this podcast. But back to this place. So you can definitely go visit this well. It's in the bottom of cost. Just like act like you're shopping or something like that. But then like sneak photos of this well. I'm about to do that. But apparently it's obviously more haunted at night. So if you go into the basement at night, you may see a drenched, sobbing Elma sitting next to the well with torn clothing. Apparently tons of paranormal investigators have visited and have called it extremely haunted. So who am I to say that it's not haunted? I got to go check it out myself. But yeah, there should not be a wet woman crying in a basement of a clothing store late at night. So if you do see that, you know what you're looking at. And maybe the ghost is proof that she was murdered and that she didn't get justice. And I'm just an idiot for thinking that it may not have been murder. I'm not saying I don't think it isn't murder. I just saying that it's clear that there isn't enough evidence to show that it's murder. And because it's so long ago, we don't have enough information about Elma's life to know today if it was murder. But maybe one day there will be some random piece of evidence that pops up and we'll have an idea. 
until then, go check out Koss. I don't know if their clothing is good or not, but you can at least get a photo of the well. And thank you all for joining me this week. Again, go check out the socials for photos, guest info, and upcoming news. Please send me your own paranormal experiences or ask your grandparents because I know they'll have a story or two for you. Send them to hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Could be anything from a 50-foot sea beast terrorizing your neighborhood pond to a giant bird snatching children from their backyards. Let me know. And I will see you all back here in a week because everyone loves a ghost story. The theme song is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar and go check out his music anywhere you stream music. T H A I R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz, M U N O Z. Fantastic artist and stylist to the celebrities. I got my information from Wikipedia, classic New York history, historical trial transcripts, crime reads, city signal, and backstory radio.